the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD, also at WFMD.com. And don't forget, you can download the app. Uh, just go to the App Store, free download, have everything right at your fingertips, literally. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope all is well with you and your family. Uh, good program for you, some interesting top stories, economic data. Joining me in just a little bit, Dakota Wood. He uh, retired from the U.S. Marine Corps uh, as a lieutenant colonel and um, was very involved uh, during his career uh, as a Marine um, including uh, doing um, operations and execution uh, around the world um, when he served as a lead uh, planner for U.S. Central Command during the initial operation response uh, to the attacks of September 11, 2001. He's currently a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and the Heritage Foundation just came out this week with their executive summary of the 2023 Index of U.S. military strength. So we're going to be talking about that in uh, in detail. He's one of the authors of this uh, this index. And um, why? Well, just like when we talk about the border and make sure we have a good understanding of what's going on in the country. If you do not have national security, you do not have economic and financial security. So the government's one job, federal government in particular, is to keep our country safe. And we're going to find out how well or how poorly they're doing with that when we talk to uh, Mr. Uh, Wood in just a little bit. So stay tuned. I can't wait to uh, to share the conversation with you when he joins me. So we uh, look at some of the top stories. Um, not a big surprise, at least for me. Something we've been talking about on the program here for 15, maybe 20 years when it first started sprouting. Um, in the teacher pensions in New York City and other areas. But um, you've got this, uh, the ESG, the Environmental Social Governance thing. And that's just kind of a tagline, bumper sticker, just like climate change. Nobody really knows what it means. Um, but a lot of people have realized that the agenda is dark. So you're starting to see this pushback because of the abuse of the ESG label. And the latest this past week came from the state of Missouri. They pulled out $500 million in state pension funds managed by BlackRock. So BlackRock is the largest asset manager. um, And Larry Fink is the CEO, and he's just a global elitist And they all live in this little bubble. He uh, thought that if Hillary Clinton won the election, he was going to be the Treasury Secretary or the uh, chairman uh, of the Federal Reserve or something. And, of course, he cried in his uh, in his beer after that didn't happen. But he still wants to be part of that posse. So what we saw, like I said, the Missouri State Treasurer, the guy's name is Scott Fitzpatrick. He announced earlier this week uh, that the Missouri State Employees Retirement System 
uh, sold all public equities managed by BlackRock. This is great. Like I said, $500 million. And he just reminded everybody that their duty, whether it's BlackRock or anybody else, is to uh, make sure that they're trying to get the best rate of return they can based on your risk tolerance and your goals. So he said that we should not allow asset managers such as BlackRock, who have demonstrated that they will prioritize advancing a woke political agenda above the financial interest of their customers, to continue speaking on behalf of the state of Missouri. So you've got BlackRock and others like State Street and Vanguard uh, that have really spearheaded an effort to promote ESG uh, the way they want to promote it. Um, this movement broadly seeks uh, this green energy uh, narrative, if you will, and left-wing social priorities. So people are waking up to it, and obviously, finally, these uh, state treasurers and governors, etc., they're all waking up to it. And it's not just Missouri. Uh, they're joining West Virginia, Louisiana, Texas, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Florida, South Carolina, Arizona, Idaho, Utah, Wyoming, Arkansas, and North Carolina. Because all of those states that I just rattled off have pushed back this ridiculous ESG label and movement because um, it does have very uh, left-wing, socialist, Marxist priorities. And um, you're not going to reward these asset managers with your money and with pension money if they're going to take advantage of you and use that money for things that are not in your best interest and uh, don't have your goals and objectives to heart. It's really that simple. And I'll tell you, it's working. It's great seeing it. BlackRock's focus on environmental, social, and governance investing, it's turning into a risky affair. So you see Larry Fink, the CEO, and others start to backpedal and because uh, money talks, right? Let's face it. It's just like if you want to find out if something's going wrong, follow the trail of money, and you'll find the evil at the end of it, if it's a bad thing or if it's a good thing. You know, you'll know who's supporting it. So um, an analyst downgraded uh, BlackRock this week, their, uh, their stock price. Um, they switched it to new neutral from buy instead of a $700 per share price down to $585. So, you know, performance is deteriorating. Political risk from this uh, ridiculous ESG um, has increased for them. And, and it is political. I mean, again, like I had mentioned, Larry Fink and these other people, they want to be in that bubble. You know, they, they want to be included. So that's why they're joining in. You know, he was just at the Clinton Global Initiative and all this nonsense. Um, World Economic Forum. You look at these elitist and um, you start to and the people with a lot of money and you start to see what they're all about.
and what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, I mentioned Missouri and also Louisiana, for example. They said that they're going, the state of Louisiana would liquidate approximately $800 million from BlackRock. Their uh, ETFs, exchange-traded funds, money market funds, mutual funds, within three months. So it's great seeing these tough um, state treasurers and others that are just standing there and, you know, punching BlackRock and Vanguard and all the others square in the nose. Uh, South Carolina announced uh, about a week ago the state's divesting its roughly $200 million in BlackRock holdings by the year's end. This is great. It's great. So um, we've got all that going on. Of course, we know about the energy crisis, self-made, by the way, self-inflicted, that's going on right now. Um, so the other thing I'll let you know, whereas you listen to the administration say almost every day, whether it's a press conference or Biden at the microphone or the, um, the secretary of energy, that they're doing everything they can to bring down gas prices, including raping and pillaging our strategic petroleum reserve, which is not supposed to be used for political gain and that's exactly what they're doing here before the midterms it's just like the student loan debt it's just bribery you're literally bribing people and using um our reserves incorrectly in that case uh for votes and it's not going to work they are going to get waxed this is going to be so much fun to watch uh when the november elections come but Everybody's talking about, oh, we're doing all we can. We're doing all we can. Guess what? The administration has failed to remedy a mathematical glitch in their oil and gas permitting review process, causing a system backlog and a decrease of energy production. So the National Marine Fishery Service, the agency responsible for determining um, you know, what goes on with, uh, with offshore energy projects. You know, they acknowledged the mistake back in April. I think I shared it with you, but I may, maybe I didn't. Um, but has since opted against quickly fixing this situation. Been going on since April. Prices have been going up since then. People are hurting just, you know, obviously not just energy, but that's a big part as far as uh, gas. Prices are up also because diesel fuel is high and, um, you know, the the big equipment that we need to get products moved across the country, actually around the world, when you've got high diesel prices, that that's getting passed on to you, right? So this is all smoke and mirrors when they say that they're actually trying to bring down prices. That's a lie. Uh, they're deceiving consumers about what they're not doing. You know, they're saying they're trying to lower these energy prices, and they're not, just big liars. Um, and, of course, their remedy is go buy an electric car, which, look, if you want one, that's great. I'm not anti-electric car. If that's what you want to drive, go drive. I heard some lady at a we were at a birthday party, and she was bragging about how her Tesla was going to get her home. And she wanted somebody to ask her about it. Of course, nobody did because they didn't care. 
right? So if you want to drive an electric car, drive one. But technology is not there. Resources are not there. For everybody, and of course you can't afford it, for everybody to drive an electric car. This is all just, again, with subsidies and all the other stuff, they're going to try to force this issue with the spending that they did this year um, so that they're paying. Just think if you're Detroit. You're the major automaker sitting there licking your chops saying, oh, we've got billions of dollars of taxpayer money coming our way to make these vehicles. And, I mean, just think about that. Not only that, but they're looking at, oh, I wonder if they're going to make us or make Americans replace every uh, regular engine with an electric vehicle. How'd you like to be in that business? Of course they're going to embrace it. They have to because of the money, the bribery, right? So then even, all right, so just want to remind everybody, the technical definition of a recession is two negative quarters back-to-back of minus economic growth, negative economic growth. Happened in the first quarter, then it was followed up in the second quarter. Hence, technical recession. Hasn't been dated yet. As to when it started, which it never matters because they're always so wrong. Usually you're out of the recession when they tell you you're in one with the dates. So the media, of course, won't acknowledge it. Um, This terrible administration won't acknowledge it. Um, A lot of people as far as in, I mean, in the finance world won't acknowledge it. We're in a recession, technical definition, two quarters back to back, even if they want to go on Wikipedia and wherever else and try to change it. But you're starting to see that these, uh, these outlets are having a difficult time. It happened this week where uh, Bloomberg Economics came out and said there's a 100% chance that we'll be in a recession in the next 12 months. So that's up from 65% earlier in the year um, when they were talking about a recession. So they're saying that, you know, again, 100% is 100%, right? Um, But they won't say that, you know, it started as far as a technical explanation because um, they're trying to toe the line and help the administration not look like fumbling idiots, which is impossible to do no matter how much, uh, you know, they try to backfill all this stuff. So they're trying to save face. Maybe they'll put up an article online for a whopping five or ten minutes and then take it down. But they can always go back and say, yeah, we reported on this. Yeah, no, we had a look at the headline here. But, of course, like I said, that's all just to try to, uh, to backfill what they've done with supporting these policies and, um, and of course, disseminating uh, bad information. Microsoft, by the way, they're one of the latest big companies to announce that they're cutting their workforce. So when you look at that CEO uh, survey from a couple weeks ago, half are expecting to have to either freeze and or cut their workforce over the next year. So it's... You know, and and again, Microsoft, you've heard from Alphabet, which is Google's parent, Apple, Meta, which is 
so fun to watch that fail. That's Facebook and their um, virtual reality that's just uh, tanking. It's really good to see. Um, so I-, I wish that they would just get honest about what's going on and then, of course, address things that make sense and how to fix it. Financial confidence, there was a survey I saw this week that um, the index showed that 54% of Americans reported making financial progress in the third quarter. That's an 8% drop from a year ago, and it's only 54%. So we've talked on the program here before, people living paycheck to paycheck, people draining their savings, people taking out extra credit cards, new credit cards, so that they can try to keep up with this crazy cost of living that, again, is self-inflicted because of uh, such terrible policies. So um, we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Those are just some of the top stories. Just as a reminder, coming up in just a little bit, I'll be talking with uh, Dakota Wood, former uh, Naval Academy uh, graduate, uh, also got his master's and um, was in the Marines for uh, for a couple decades. And um, that executive summary of the 2023 Index of Military Strength was released this week by the Heritage Foundation. He was one of the authors of that. And uh, we're going to talk about that because, again, this gets back to if you don't have national security, you don't have economic or financial security, period. So if you want things to get worse, this is an area can hap- that can cause that, the, the financial markets and the economy to get worse. So, um, so stay tuned. But on the other side of this quick break, we'll have some economic data for you. I got my shades on top back. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts. You can grab it there. Um, And don't forget, download the uh, free WFMD app to your smartphone. And uh, I mentioned not a a whole lot of data, but we did get a lot of housing information this week. And unfortunately, it continues to go south. Um, Confidence among Builders, for example, in the U.S. housing market tumbled more than expected this month to the lowest level since the beginning of the virus. So same story, high inflation, rising borrowing costs have forced potential buyers to pull back, and that's impacting uh, the builder confidence, of course. This is according to the National Association of Home Builders, their uh, housing market index. It fell for the 10th consecutive month to a reading of 38. So that's the worst stretch for the housing markets since uh, they launched this survey in 1985. That reading of 38 is way below the 50 break-even. So if you're at 50 or above, you're considered positive attitude. Um, And just really far, just six months ago, this was at 76. Just six months ago. Now, 
It's at 38. Um, and those numbers were worse than what economists were looking for. Uh, you've got, again, according to their chairman at the National Association of Home Builders, high mortgage rates have significantly weakened demand, especially for uh, first-time and first-generation prospective home buyers. So, again, for the young people out there wondering, looking around, like, what happened the last year and a half? Uh, you just have to look at this administration and their policies and the Federal Reserve that uh, really, really messed up, which we call this extremely early, saying that transitory was a stupid word to use. Totally inappropriate, but backed up by the chairman after he said it, he stuck with it. And here's the problem, I think, one of the big problems at the uh, Federal Reserve, there's too much worry about consensus. So when they get in the room and they close the door, what they want to achieve is that they're all on the same page. That's why if you have someone dissenting from a, a vote, they're kind of, you know, pushed out to see a little bit. So the whole consensus thing is stupid, um, just like in any other political area, you have to have strong people stand up for what's right. And if that means casting a vote that's unpopular um, they they just need to do it anyway. And then we also saw that housing starts slumped in September. Um, they were down 8.1%, according to the Commerce Department. That was below economists' forecast. And then permits for construction of single-family housing starts. So permits, what's in the pipeline, um, and also for single family housing starts, which is the biggest share of home building, that dropped three point one percent, the lowest since June of twenty twenty. Again, once we were dealing with the virus after it made its way here, and we've never um, gotten any response from that either. Um, and then the other problem, of course, is the extremely high thirty year and fifteen year etc. mortgage rates. Um, I saw the other day the 30-year fixed rate for a mortgage was averaging 6.94%. Um, that was according to Freddie Mac. A year ago, 3.09. So what happens when you go from 3.09 to 6.94? Destruction, right? And that's what they're doing. It's called demand destruction. They're trying to purposely do that to cool the economy, to get inflation down to their so-called 2% rate. If you're in charge at the Fed and you know that your mandate for inflation is 2%, why do you even let it get to 4 without making some type of move? Why do you wait till it gets to 9%, 8%, and then start doing things, and then overdo it? You have to remember, every time they make these moves – which we're going to get one at the the next meeting, by the way, is November 1st and 2nd. Um, it takes six to nine months for that action to work its way through our economy. So um, it, it's just it's it's unbelievable to see what these people have done and allowed to happen on their watch. Um, the other good thing or one good thing that we saw this past week was 
Uh, First-time filings for unemployment insurance, only, I say only, 214,000 last week. That's better than what um, economists were looking for. And then one of the, uh, Charles Evans, the Federal Reserve uh, Bank president in Chicago, said that it would be good if the Fed could bring inflation back to target, that's 2%, while keeping the jobless rate under 5%. Right now, the jobless rate is at 3.5%, if you believe the headline number. So if it goes to 5% because they're trying to fight inflation, what's that going to do to the jobs market if it goes to 5%? How many thousands of jobs is that going to uh, cost? So that's something else that everybody has to keep a, you know, keep a, an open mind to and, an un, and have an understanding of when they say that supposedly they're trying to fix things. All right. When we come back, I'll be talking with my guests this morning, this afternoon, Mr. Dakota Wood. Um, and uh, he retired as a lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Marine Corps. And he's a uh, Naval Academy graduate. And uh, also one of the authors of um, this latest survey, summary, I should say. It's not a survey. It's a summary of the 2023 index of U.S. military strength. Where do we stand? How strong are we? What does that mean for not just national security, but for economic and financial security, because it's all tied together. When you were young and your heart was an open book. You just say, live let live. But if this ever changed. It's your financial editor with Chris Murray on 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcast and you can uh, get the program there. Thanks so much for being with us today. If you're just joining us, perfect timing. Jumping into our conversation this morning with my guest, Mr. Dakota Wood, Senior Research Fellow, Defense Programs, Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Comes uh, another friend from the Heritage Foundation. Just a quick reminder, um, if you're interested in anything we talk about uh, during this uh, conversation, just go to heritage.org and you can pull up for free uh, a plethora of, of information and facts and backgrounds and summaries, etc. That's why uh, we've had uh, Heritage as a, as a friend for so long, because that's what we get. Uh, back to Mr. Uh, Dakota Wood. He, uh, is, he was retired back in 2005 as a lieutenant colonel from the United States Marine Corps. Prior to that, um, he uh, graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, um, and then was uh, also earned his master's degree in national security and strategic studies from the College of Naval Command and Staff, U.S. Naval War College. So, as always, people wonder, okay, you've been doing this uh, financial program. 
for, well, next month it'll be 25 years. Why are we talking about the United States military and its readiness? And I always remind people, if you don't have national security, you don't have financial security. You don't have economic security. So even though we talk a ton about that stuff, this is something that's very, very important. The Heritage just came out with their index this week for 2023 examining the U.S. military. And that's why we want to make sure that we have a good handle on it, especially with voting right around the corner so that we have more facts and can do more research on our own. Good morning, Mr. Wood. What a great pleasure for me to be with you. Thanks. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Um, as always, I know everybody's super busy, so so thanks a lot. So if you will, just give us um, the, the overview of what this index is all about and why you publish it. Uh, think of it as a report card uh, when you were going through school or if you've got a, you know, a child or a student going through school. So you're working all year long. You get to the end of the year, and how did you do? You know, what were those grades? And so what this index does is it looks at the nature of the world, you know, friends and allies and regions. It also looks at uh, what we call threats, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. Uh, how are they doing? You know, more belligerent or less so, more capable or less so. And then providing that context, we then look at each one of the U.S. military services, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, Space Force. We look at our nuclear portfolio and missile defense capabilities. And we do that same kind of grading. You know, how do they do, right, in this, in this year that we're looking at? And so we look at how big they are, the capacity. We look at uh, capability in terms of modernity. You know, I mean, is it old stuff or is it new stuff? And then we look at readiness. So are Air Force pilots flying enough? You know, are, are ships available for use? Um, do tank drivers go out and, you know, drive and shoot their tanks and all that stuff? So we look at the readiness of those forces, the size, the modern uh, aspect of it, older new equipment, and then the readiness. And then we give it a score on a scale of very strong to very weak, you know, kind of a five-point scale there. So that's the purpose of the index, and it's to report to the American people Hey, we spent we spent a lot of money in the military. You know, are you getting your dollars worth? I mean, is the is America viewed as strong? And I love your intro on if you want trade relationships, you know, economic viability, security here at home. Not only you have to be perceived as being strong, but you have to actually be strong. You know, to be there in important markets and regions of the world. Yeah, and that makes uh, total sense. And that's great that uh, that uh, you guys put this out every year. So. Um, I guess a uh, uh, two-part question. One, how long have you been doing it? And two, what has the history been uh, for the report card, if you will, for the United States military? This is the ninth year, so almost a decade. Next year will be our tenth year, but nine years uh, looking at all the services, and they kind of vary you know, across those three metrics, you know, size, uh, capability, and readiness. Uh, but when you look at the totality of the American military force, uh, we give it a marginal rating. So that would be a C, you know, on an A, B, C, D, F uh, report card. So it's it's marginal uh, in the past, and uh, we think that it could handle a major war in one part of the world, but it would kind of be struggling to do stuff uh, uh, other places because of how small the force is. So, yeah, that's we've done it nine years. The trend line has been marginal. 
The big reveal this year was we dropped that one letter grade down to D. We gave it a, a scoring of weak. So we're saying that the American military is weak, not the people. The people are awesome, working long hours. They're just great folks, but they're working with very old gear, not enough of it. They have very small forces, and they're not funded enough to train at an appropriate level to be competent, you know, to really be good enough to be able to prevail on a battlefield. You know, you just got everybody's attention because, you know, any American listening to this and uh, to, and I love the way you keep it simple so we can, in our mind's eye, uh, really see a D. Um, And we're all, I know the people that listen to this program are very, very proud of our military and all those that serve and their families, the sacrifices they make, just like we are with first responders. Um, Mm -hmm. So that just begs the question then, um, what is being done about the dilapidation there that, you know, that has gotten us to a D? Not much, because it's a a 30-year program or problem. Uh, If you recall back in the 90s, I mean, you've been doing this show for a long time. There was a, when, the, when the Soviet Union went away, there was a dramatic slashing in the size of the military, and we didn't introduce a lot of new gear uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, the buildup that came out of the Reagan presidency, that was money applied in the 80s. That equipment started showing up in the 90s. Then 9-11 happened in you know, 2001, and our military that was built for the Cold War and then cut dramatically – was used against terrorists and insurgents with no Air Force, no Navy, no armies, you know, nothing like that, right? But we're still using the force. You know, you're using up munitions, planes are flying, and so when you buy a plane with 8,000 hours built into it and you fly it three or four hours in a given day for 20 years, you're using up the lifespan of that equipment. Today, if your increase in defense spending is, say, 3 or 4%, but inflation is 7 or 8%, you know, you're continuing to lose ground. So the military isn't funded sufficiently for flight hours, for steaming hours for ships, uh, and conducting major exercises and training evolutions to keep the forces competent. And that's kind of how we got here. 20 years of use, the money that was spent was on consumables like munitions and fuel and all that stuff in Iraq and Afghanistan. But we haven't been introducing new equipment at near the rate that we're retiring old equipment. Ah. Yeah, and again, uh, perfect that you point that out, uh, inflation and how that's having a a negative impact, even more of a negative impact on what's going on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with my guest, Mr. Dakota Wood, Senior Research Fellow, Defense Program, Center for National Defense at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, Quick uh, reminder, go to heritage.org, and you can pull up, um, like I did, the executive summary of the 2023 index of U.S. military strength. And we'll continue this conversation on the other side. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to uh, Apple Podcast, And I think it's in other uh, venues as well. But anyway, you can check it out there if you'd like and re-listen to this program or any program or share it, whatever suits you. Uh, we're talking this morning with my guest, Mr. Dakota Wood, Senior uh, Research Fellow at uh, Heritage, retired uh Lieutenant Colonel from the United States Marine Corps, uh, graduate from the Naval Academy and got his master's uh, from College of Naval Command and Staff, U.S. Naval War College, um, lives with his lovely wife, Dixie, and they have three grown children. And he is one of the authors and researchers of what we're talking about this morning, the, uh, the index from the Heritage Foundation on U.S. military strength. So um, I, I guess, Dakota, if we can just spend a moment on each branch yep. and you kind of let us know, like, kind of what their grade is and, and what we uh, hopefully can do to improve it. Uh, the Army is marginal. We give it a C, uh, largely because of low – individual company-sized units of the Army are, are strong – uh, but if you're training at the company level and you're not training at battalion or brigade level, you're running a risk that all those little individual parts down on the low end of the spectrum are going to work together at the upper end of the spectrum. So uh, readiness is is caveated. Um, it, the Army's too small. Uh, it doesn't have enough brigades to handle more than one. Uh, war. So if you had to go to a fight in Europe on behalf of NATO, given what Russia is doing in Ukraine, those sorts of things, you would be unable to respond to something on the Korean Peninsula or use army power to support Taiwan. So it's too small. Almost all of its equipment was introduced in the 80s and 90s. So it's got old equipment. And the readiness rating where it's strong is at the very small unit levels. Uh, the Navy is dramatically small. Uh, we had 580 ships during the Cold War, kept about 100 at sea on any given day. Today we have 292 ships, so half the Navy, uh, and yet we still keep 100 ships at sea. So the crews are working twice as hard. The ships are using twice as much. Um, ha over half the Navy ships are greater than 20 years old. And, uh, you know, they just don't have the money to maintain them, so you get backlog maintenance, like, you know, an old car that costs you more, and you're just using it every day. Um, the uh, Air Force, uh, we uh, assessed, is very weak. So the Navy was weak or a D. The Air Force gets an F. Wow. It's very weak. Uh, it has uh, the average age of an Air Force fighter is 32 years old, if you can imagine that. Uh, an Air Force pilot in the Cold War would be flying in excess of 300 hours a year. Today, the Air Force pilots across all their aircraft are averaging fewer than 120, so less than half the flying time. And usually it means a pilot flies once a week for about an hour and a half. It's just nowhere near the level to maintain skills. Old airplanes, and again, uh, too small. In the Cold War, you had 29 squadrons in Europe. Uh, today, the total active duty Air Force only has 32 squadrons, so it's dramatically reduced. We gave a strong rating to the Marine Corps, almost all new equipment in their air component. Uh, that's still too small, but the readiness rates are through the roof. I mean, they're really focused, uh, working hard, and doing well. 
the nuclear uh, components, it, we gave it a strong rating, but it's kind of on the edge. Uh, the Minuteman three, which are our ballistic missiles and silos, were purchased in 1973. They were meant to serve for 10 years, and we've had them for 50. Uh, the uh, lab system uh, that generates where scientists are working at, that those are very old guys now, stretching back in the Cold War days, and so we've got a talent management issue. But there's a lot of focus on the nuclear portfolio. And then in missile defense, we didn't necessarily score that one, but we, we provide an overview it's limited, uh, could handle small salvos from a single competitor like North Korea, so that needs to expand. And finally, the Space Force, we scored as weak, or a D rating, and that's because it transferred a lot of space duties from the other services, but it's much too small to handle the ever-growing demands for information from all of the military commanders we have around the world. So that's a pretty quick overview of a lot of material. Yeah, for sure. And again, I want to remind everybody, go to heritage.org and you can look at all of this in detail. It's nice. It's not only texted, but um, they've got graphs so you can see uh, in a very easy way what's going on. So I'm sure a big question the listeners would have for someone uh, with your area of expertise and your experience is, what are the biggest threats uh, to America right now? Yeah, so you, you can have an acute threat, something that's really sharp and spiky in its near term. <laughs> and then there are threats that are just much more profound and comprehensive. So that's how we look at the difference between Russia and China. I mean, Russia is at war in Europe, and you see the devastation on Ukraine. It keeps kind of threatening the use of nuclear weapons. It threatens the Baltic states. Uh, you know, they're in Northern Europe, uh, Sweden and Finland and Norway and Estonia and all those countries up there. So it's a real problem and it's a current problem. So that's a, a type of threat. China is comprehensive. They've expanded their Navy from about 212 ships just 10 or 12 years ago to 360 ships today. So they're larger than the U.S. Navy. And if you look at a regional thing, the U.S. Navy will have about 60 ships out in the Indo-Pacific area against China's 360. So a six-to-one disadvantage, and they've got a lot of missiles and those sorts of things, and they're serious about building up. Uh, you got Crazy Kim in North Korea with his nuclear portfolio. He's got missiles that can range the United States, but they're limited in number. And South Korea is, is, is pretty strong, uh, militarily speaking. And then Iran is a near-nuclear power. And the greater concern there is Israel just cannot tolerate a nuclear-armed Iran that has threatened the existence of Israel. So if something breaks out between Israel in Iran, the United States would be drawn into that. So the kind of the big four challenges we see and how we've characterized them. Okay, great. Uh, just another quick reminder, everybody, you can go to heritage.org and uh, get this executive summary or, or in more detail if you want. Also on the homepage uh, to the left, uh, something else that uh, Dakota Wood recently wrote, the U.S. Marine Corps has a choice, transform or die. So there's all kinds of great, great readings. Uh, there's information about the border and what's being done by Heritage to try to protect us. So I would encourage you to go to uh, heritage.org. Uh, Dakota, thanks so much for taking time out of your uh, very busy schedule and for uh, serving in the Marines to protect us and also uh, for your good work on this, uh, this index. It's such a pleasure to be with you. I mean, seriously, thanks for the opportunity and 
engaging with your audience. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And um, once again, go to heritage.org and you can uh, get this information. Something else I would suggest, uh, the Daily Signal, which is a free email every morning that you get that includes uh, various uh, folks at the Heritage uh, presenting their work. So you really are able to keep track of a lot of different uh, things um, and, and it's good, it's factual, it's honest, um, and, and that's the kind of information we all need to be equipped with so that we can make good decisions and have good conversations uh, when it comes to these important issues. The other thing, I know you're going to laugh at this, um, Problematic Women is part of the Heritage Foundation. and They have a podcast, and I have a young daughter, and I listen to the podcast with my daughter, and it's also very, very nice to hear what young, successful, uh, conservative ladies are thinking about and dealing with. So uh, Problematic Women is a podcast. You can find that as well. So just a ton of uh, really great free information. We're so lucky to have it, and that's because of the supporters at the Heritage Foundation. So uh, that does it for us. Uh, I will be back here next weekend with another edition of the Your Financial Editor Program. And um, and then, uh, of course, join us weekday mornings, 550, 650, 750 on the Morning News Express live uh, conversations with Bob Miller and Ryan Hedrick, um, where we talk about business and finance, et cetera, um, and uh, keep everybody up to speed on what's going on. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, I hope you enjoyed the program. Look forward to talking with you soon. This is Chris Murray. Wishing you and your family financial success. editions of this program are available in the audio vault at wfmd.com a service of Holtzapple heating and air conditioning news radio 930 wfmd frederick a connoisseur media radio station seven o'clock